Good morning, church. Um, it is such an honor to welcome you here this morning. My name is Lexi, and I have the privilege of serving as the youth pastor. Um, this morning, I have a few things I want to cover. The first is that our mission is Lift Up Christ, which you'll see behind us. Um, we are excited to be your home church, or if it's your first time here, welcome. We hope we get to see you again. Um, the second thing that I get to share with you is that the bathrooms are open. So you might have noticed that there are no signs keeping you from going into them. So I would encourage you to go look at them and to use them. Um, they, in my opinion, are so beautiful. And I am so thankful for the university and the contractors and the people that made it happen. Um, and so I hope you guys get to experience it for yourself. Um, and I'd like to welcome Russ as my final thing, and he will lead us in our call of worship. Good morning. We'll be reading from Psalm 107, the first nine verses, and then the 43rd verse. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. If you're willing and if you're able, could we stand together as we move into this time of worship?
together. God, we thank you for this amazing, beautiful Sunday that you have given to us this morning. Lord, we come before you in this time of worship with our hearts open wide. Would you help us to focus our minds on you, to live lives that you have called us to, lives of love, of justice, of peace. Would you come and fill our hearts this morning and have your way in us and through us. Worthy Lord, worthy of every breath. 
reach uh, the point in our service where we are gonna join in passing the peace to one another. So can we turn to our neighbors this morning and greet one another? our seats and be seated. At this time, we're gonna go ahead and invite our, uh, dismiss our children. And as we do so, could we pray this prayer over them? This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Amen. Children, you are dismissed.
we sing Pull me in closer Close to your heart May I be a pure reflection Of who you are Love that is patient Love that is kind Love that keeps no offenses
good morning, everybody. It's great to be with all of you and to worship alongside you this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the Director of Communications here at San Diego First Church. And I just have the opportunity to get to let you know about some things going on in our church. Before we jump into those announcements, though, the first one, as always, is we would love for you to let us know that you're here. And so please feel free to take out your smartphone and scan this QR code that's on the screen. It's also available on the front page of your bulletin. Um, and a, a quick, brief Google form will pop up. You can put in your name, uh, your contact info, if it's changed or if you want to let us uh, if you want to provide that for us, if you think we don't already have it, we'd love to add you to our weekly emails that go out on Friday afternoon. And this is just a great way for you to also communicate any prayer requests or things that you have to let the church staff know. So feel free to work on that form uh, while we go through the rest of the announcements. Um, tonight, we have our third gathering of the summer for our church 30-somethings group. So this is a group we've been trying to get together more often this summer for just community and connection. Uh, this is a, a growing group in our church of those around their 30s. I think we probably have ranging from 25 to 45, so maybe 30-ish is like a better name for the group than 30-something. But uh, in, in that age range, if you find yourself in that age range, we'd love to have you join us tonight, 7 to 9, uh, for a barbecue at Shelly and Dave James' house. They live just a couple blocks away from the church. So um, if you're a member of that group or you're in our database for that group, you will have gotten reminders and emails about that. If you're not in that group, please come and see me after church. We'd love to add you to that and let you know the details um, of tonight's gathering and then make sure that you're on our mailing list for any future gatherings that we might have going on. Uh, starting next Sunday, it's, uh, we're entering the month of August, and August around here is Church Family Month, which means we have the opportunity to be joined by our kids and our teens um, throughout our Sunday school hour as well as our worship service. So the amazing, beautiful prayer that we do every Sunday to send them off to Children's Church. We won't be doing that for a month. They're going to stay in service with us. Um, and this is a great opportunity that we have to just learn and grow and worship alongside our kids and teens, but also to give our volunteers that help put on that programming every Sunday um, a month of Sabbath, which is a really uh, awesome gift, and we love that we're able to do that around here. So just know that if you have kids or teens in that age range that attend Children's Church or our Bible study for uh, teens, um, that we will we'll be offering that during 9 or 10.30 hour um, in every Sunday in August. Um, the nursery for kids 0 to 3 will still be available during both hours if you do have a kid in that age range. Speaking of the nursery, we would love to recruit some more nursery volunteers. This is Banner Pitkin, um, also known as my favorite office mate. Don't tell any of my other coworkers, but it's always the best day when he's in the office and he gets to join us. Um, and if you want to hold and hang out with Banner... A great way to do that is to volunteer to serve in the nursery. Um, he's a super awesome kid. We have tons of other awesome babies that go hang out in the nursery. And uh, you have the opportunity to go and serve there uh, once every other month if you add your name to our roster. And uh, it's just a great way to serve the, our parents and also the kids that make use of that nursery. And so we'd love to add you to our list of volunteers for the nursery. Um, also, coming up for Church Family Month on Wednesday nights, our kids and our youth programming are putting on joint family fun nights. And so... Uh, kids, teens, and their families are invited to take part in all of these events happening on Wednesday nights. Uh, coming up, our first one is this Wednesday, S'more Night over at Shelter Island. We also have a game night, movie night, pool night planned. Um, all of those in information for that and the details and updates as things change are going to go out to our youth and kids mailing lists, as well as be on our youth and kids Instagram platforms. So if you're not on those mailing lists or you're not following those accounts on Instagram, be sure you do that if you want to learn more about these events and get plugged into those as well. And then finally, to put on your radar, 
uh, the third Sunday in August, 21st, summer celebration is back. Super excited. We're going to gather at Crown Point for a brief worship service. We'll have reflections from different ages about some of the awesome events and ministries we've had going on this summer, from Elevate to summer camps, uh, D sabbatical. And so we'll be offering some reflections around those ministries that have taken place this summer. Uh, we'll play some long games together, gathering community, and we're going to enjoy those same tacos we had last Sunday to celebrate D coming back. And so if that's something that you love, uh, either being in community with everybody else or tacos, I won't tell which one you prefer more, but be there on the 21st at Crown Point, and we'd love to have you join us for that morning where we get to worship and gather together outside. With that, I'm going to invite D up uh, to continue with our series of interviews. Thanks, Tyler. Um, it is a joy to be able to do this. It's one of my favorite parts of our time together is get a chance to learn something about somebody you may not know or more about somebody you know well and be surprised by what's said. So Lauren, come on up here. We have Lauren Day this morning. So it is a joy to have you up here. Let me give you this microphone. There you go. Good morning. And start us off, because some people don't know you. Tell us a little bit about your husband, your kids, your family. Yeah. Uh, good morning. I'm Lauren. Um, grew up in the Nazarene Church and came to Point Loma and met Joel. Was ringed by, like, multiple, multiple springs. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we met, and then we have two little boys who are in the children's church, three- and seven-year-old Wesley and Bobby. How nice. And I didn't say it when she walked up here, but the last name is Reese Day. Day, Joel, um, so great to have you here as well and to be part of our family and congregation. So I'd, just to help us know a little bit more, um, you tend to be one of those individuals who loves getting involved in your community, in your church. Tell us some of the community ways in which you've gotten involved. I can't help myself. <laughs> I see a problem and I can't help myself. So uh, our seven-year-old joined Little League and um, they need a little bit of help. So I'm on the Kearney Mesa Little League board. So that's nice. up in like Claremont area. So that's a lot of fun. Um, we're getting ready for fall ball. I know a lot of the kids around here go to the Point Loma Little League as well. Yeah. Um, and then just recently, I signed up to help in the nursery in the children's church and that's been a blast. Great. We'll come back to that in a moment. Um, I first came to know your family through your dad, actually, um, and uh, he is a pastor, and so you're a PK. Yes, I am a PK. Anything you want to share with the others here who <laughs> might be PKs, like this kind of camaraderie you have? Sure, right, yeah, I know, we should start a club. Uh, what's interesting <laughs> is, yes, growing up in the church, being a PK um, is, is actually pretty neat, looking back on it. It's, it's a different perspective you can take on what a church body means and, and how important it is and volunteers, right, to take to make a church run. Um, but coming to college, my dad's a huge fan, so he'd be like, what did he preach on? Did you get the notes? Did you write them? <laughs> so it's been fun to, to have this, my spiritual journey always kind of centered around this, this uh, congregation. I like him tons. Um, you made mention of a support group I think there may already be a recovery group for PKs. We would like to start a thriving group for PKs, so that's what the next group is. Um, I would love to know, with that kind of upbringing, when did um, your faith kind of shift, maybe, from it being just an environment in which you grew up to it becoming yours? And I think it constantly becomes ah. mine. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you, at, you, you prepped me. He prepped me because oh, my palms are really sweaty. So I was like, what are you going to ask me? <laughs> so he prepped and I had to think about it for a moment. And, you know, sort of being, like, growing your own wings, coming to PLNU, right? What is this yeah. me being on my own? Having a really safe space to explore that. Um, and then Joel and I moved away, and um, we had to church shop. So we tried different Christian faiths, and what does that mean? And um, learning how the lens that's outside the Nazarene world, what, what's it look like? We love Wesley, so John Wesley is the best. Um, and then coming, moving back to San Diego and coming back to this community um, has been an interesting turn of events, mm. my favorite. And the best part has been having two little kids and experiencing Christ and our creator through the lens of a three and a seven year old has been so fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting about maybe my faith is always falling back on what I learned in children's church, camp, right? Um, experiencing life through that church support, the felt boards, you know, that fun thing. Absolutely. Wow. What a nice softball pitch segue to your volunteer stuff here. You've been involved in the children's department actually in a variety of ways, right? Sure. Yeah. So name a couple of the things. Um, well, recently it's been the nursery, yeah. which has been just a blast. And I think with me post-COVID and everybody feeling like it's okay to let my kids come back to church and it's safer, um, we've been bursting at the seams. Mm. And let me tell you, that's a good problem to have. It's fabulous. This is amazing, but there's a problem. Yeah, so fill in, then what's the consequence of that? What do we need? Give us your best pitch. So I asked Jordan, I said, I need you to tell me, I need some data, that's the way my brain works, tell me the math. What do we have? So I'm going to pull out my handy-dandy notes here. Wow, so <laughs> notes for an interview. Okay, great. We currently I'll just have... sit down for a while while you go ahead with it. <laughs> so we currently have 44 volunteers for the children's... Programming. Program, the whole yeah. entire thing, including yeah. the nursery. That's a lot of people, but we still have plenty more kids. So we need 14 volunteers every Sunday, and that's just once a month. So if you do the number, you multiply it by four, you get, we need 56 volunteers. We need 12 more volunteers minimum. To make that system work, to right? To make that system work. Otherwise, people are having to fill in gaps and... Mm -hmm. Yep, Got the it. nursery on Sunday, all of us had two babies on, on our hips, and we were walking around, we still had more, and I mean, we made it work, but one more would have been even more fabulous. Yeah. And it's a great problem to have. There's a call, and I need your response. We need 12 more. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you know this. Some of you do, that the, um, one of the reasons that we're even at this church goes back 30 years when I was in graduate school, and our newborn we were here all alone and couldn't find a church. We lived up in Poway, and my mother-in-law suggested we try this church, came down, and some of you have heard this. On a Sunday morning, our first time here, we handed our newborn, all of two and a half months old, across the counter to Barb Olin, who worked in the nursery department, and it was so overwhelming to us that here was somebody who cared that much in that moment for someone she didn't even know, that as we're driving home back to Poway that Sunday, we said to each other, whatever it takes to get our child into Barb's hands, once to three times a week, we will drive down there to make that happen. And so we attended to this church for about two and a half years during graduate school because of that. And that same young lady, our oldest, 
took her first steps in the nursery with Dean Nelson, and he never lets me live that down, that I never got to see my newborn, my child's first steps. First step was with Dean Nelson. So I think Dean's still volunteering in children's, and some of you are as well, but we certainly could use some more help. And it takes all of us, it takes a community to make that happen. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to invite up um, the bell choir, um, and I just, my personal opinion, I think this ought to be a team Olympic sport, but I am thrilled that you're here this morning. Thanks. Continue to lead us in worship.
Good morning. Today's scripture is going to be coming from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Delaney. That uh, has and continues to be a very powerful scripture in my journey, and it's just wonderful to hear it read. Um, I also want to thank the, I guess not truly handbells, what do you call those? Hand chimes. Ch tones. Hand tones. Okay, they're called a variety of things by different people. They were just, it was wonderful though. Thank you for that. Beautiful. And Kathy and the praise band, oh my goodness, thank you for giving your time, your efforts to lead us in worship. And a thank you to all of you who uh, participated in some fashion in last Sunday afternoon's luncheon. It was just so fun to come back and be part of the family that's here and feel welcome back in such a wonderful way to get a chance to meet some people I had not met before and others whose friendships go back decades. So what a wonderful time it was. Thanks for coming this morning and being on the journey with us where we might learn together, grow together, and dig into God's word together and find ways in which we might better reflect Christ's love in our life. Recognizing that this service is not for us, we have an audience of one, we come together to lift up Christ, to worship God, and to offer our praise on behalf of our Lord and Savior and um, God's promise to be present in our midst. We were last week in Colossians, again this week in Colossians. Um, there aren't many opportunities in our three years worth of readings to spend time in Colossians, so I hope you take some of the wonderful things that are in this book and apply it throughout your life's journey and let it just sink into the pores of who you are because there are some very powerful, wonderful things. The title of this message this week is Hidden Life. For me, that has kind of multiple meanings. I've heard someone say that who you are when no one is looking is who you really are. We could reference that as the hidden life of our journey. 
We could talk about this passage and how we are hidden in Christ and Christ is our life. I also think that it's very important to acknowledge that the spiritual journey takes place in community, but there is a significant amount that takes place in this quiet, alone with God space where we wrestle with what it means to be Christ's. And to reflect on how our life may not reflect that very well. The quiet moments when we literally or figuratively look in the mirror and say, I'm, I'm not sure what I see in the mirror if that really lines up with the values I profess, the things that I believe. Is there a mismatch at all? I think in part this chapter 3 helps us in some of those areas, it is kind of a transition from the last half of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, which tend to be more kind of theologically reflective, making some statements about beliefs. And then chapter 3 kind of makes a shift and say, okay, so what does this look like day to day? What does this look like when I'm not in a synagogue or a sanctuary or a place with the community who all think like I think, what does it look like to live this stuff out that we've been talking about in the previous portions of the letter? The audience is an interesting mix. We don't know specifically all of the details of the church at Colossae. We know some of the people who were part of it because some of the passages talk about those who are in the church. But the historical information would lend us to believe that Colossae itself was made up of migrants from Greece that had begun to populate that area and then in the second century BC, a few thousand Jews who were taken there and the descendants of that group continued to live in Colossae. So it is likely that the church is this combination of Jews and Greeks. The reading you just heard from Delaney, some of the translations at the close of this passage talk about where there is no Jew nor Gentile, some of the translations say where there is no Jew nor Greek, which would be a direct statement to the church of divisions that might be taking place, and so addressed very personally. And that's just the way Scripture is. It's personal. It's collective. It's the community. But it also gets very personal, and then in our hidden life, we begin to think about how that personally forms me. And so, this passage begins and immediately poses a problem. At least it does for me, may not for you. But it feels like it's maybe a um, contrast or a statement that throws off what we talked about last week, at least in part what we talked about last week. It, this passage begins with, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So one of the things we talked about last week was what appears to be in chapter 2, this kind of confrontation with those who had this separation of that which is spiritual and everything else which is profane. That the physical world had, for some reason, a... um, a taint to it and a group of people that would push against all of those things that might be the tangible pieces of life. And one of the confrontational statements is that there is Jesus in whom all of the deity dwelt in bodily form, the fullness of the deity, a statement that the incarnation took place and took on human flesh, and that our fullness is in Christ. This honoring of the vessel that contains our spirit and that they work together and to pay attention to the way our body is and our body functions and our body as it speaks to us. Not elevating it beyond what it is, but honoring it for what it is. And yet we come to this passage, and it says, so set your hearts on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. So does this push against that notion of being very conscious of the fact that Christ dwells in this, our bodies? Not that the body can contain the spirit, but that it dwells there. And I I would suggest that what we find here in chapter 3 is not so much a response to that statement, but instead is a very bold and confrontive statement to the Roman Empire. Because it says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, the throne of the heavenly kingdom. This stands in stark contrast to the earthly things where Caesar, who proclaims himself as God, sits on the throne in Rome and dictates how all of life will be to all of those who are under Roman rule, which includes the people of the church. And so this confrontation statement is a statement that boldly speaks into their personal and collective experience. Set your hearts on the kingdom of God. And the one who sits on the throne, don't be overwhelmed or overcome by the things that you see around you. You might be living subject to them for a season, but they do not rule your destiny, nor do they rule your life. For your life is now hidden in Christ. 
And when Christ appears, who is your life, you also will appear with him in glory. This is a powerful statement that not only calls us to proclaim our allegiance, but it also cautions us about the dread and fear that we have so often about the things that have not yet come to pass and may never come to pass, but you and I both worry about them and spend so much energy and time anxious about the things that might occur instead of allowing Christ to be Lord and trusting that what comes will be under God's watchful care. Am I saying that there aren't some things that merit worry? No, I'm sure there are. But Jesus was very clear. Jesus said, let tomorrow worry about itself. Each day has enough worry of its own. So we may have some worry, but let's limit it (laughs) to what we're facing today. Trust the tomorrows to the one who holds our tomorrows. We then get into a very interesting portion of this that talks about putting to death the old self and the ways of the old self. So let's talk about the things that we want to put to death. I'll have to confess, I usually jump really fast to verse 12 because we get into all of the good things that we're supposed to put on. That tends to be where my personality just leans to. Put to death the, the old ways. You bet. Let's go on to verse 12. But I need to stop here for a second and recognize what it is that gets put to death because this actually is some of the arena, part of the arena that keeps us tripped up over and over again. Put to death, therefore, the things of the old nature. Sexual immorality, impurity. Put to death lust. Put to death evil desires. Put to death greed. I heard an interesting response to this closing line of greed. The notion that often these lists end with something because there's several throughout Scripture, several in Colossians, that sometimes the last one speaks as kind of an umbrella um, characteristic. I don't know if that's true for this one, but the assertion was that it very well could be, that greed is the actual umbrella that oversees the other ones, which I've not necessarily heard associated with sexual immorality and... um, lust and impurity and evil desires. But the notion being that the greed that rests within us, that greed that is part of the rebellious nature, that greed that gets enticed by those who use it for a variety of reasons to get what they want, affects our journey. That sexuality, this wonderful gift from God, somehow gets perverted when we begin to fall prey to greed in areas of our life. This never-ending sense of consumption, which is typically associated with an economic system or an economic model. The ways in which we can never get enough. I mean, that 
I, I don't want to impose that on everyone, that that's how you view our culture, but it sure feels to me that that is what is promoted to us over and over again. I can't get enough of the latest technology. I can't get enough of toys. I can't get enough of money so that I can buy these things. I can't get enough of whatever the next thing is. It is, at least some of my culture tells me, it's my entitlement. It is what I do. In fact, it has come to the point where we are being patriotic. We are supporting our country by those entitlements, by the consuming, by the spending. That notion of more and more and more spills into many other areas in our life, and the assertion is that when it begins to spill into those areas that are wonderful gifts from God, the way in which we love another, the way in which we treat our neighbors, that that never-ending need for consumption begins, whatever it touches, begins to cheapen it. Because it's in that context doesn't seem like it's ever quite enough, ever satisfying. But when those things come under the umbrella of Christ, when Christ is the Lord of my life and I receive Christ's blessings, it moves from idolatry, which is how greed is described in this passage, to the worship of my creator. And that leads me to love my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbors myself. It doesn't stop there. This passage continues on and says that this is how we used to walk. This is the way in which we used to be. This is the very thing that brings about what appears to us as the wrath of God. And that wrath is coming. So we need to get rid of those things in our life that separate us. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. And by all means, stop lying to one another. Once again, maybe that line is the umbrella word that speaks to some of the other things like slander and rage and anger and malice. Speaking untruths of others, believing that I can impute somebody else's motive, believing that I can tell somebody else's story as opposed to simply listen and hear. This journey of faith calls us to put those things aside, to lay them down, to recognize that they've been crucified with Christ. But I've got to tell you, sometimes they seem to have a life of their own. I can hear the words, these have been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with Christ and you've been raised with Christ. Sometimes it feels like some of those things get raised with me. <laughs> This is where it seems very difficult for me. Not just me personally, but the privilege that I have of working with people, wrestling with the journey of life that seems to be such a difficult struggle. And I believe that there's a secret here, a mystery that Scripture speaks about. And if I only stay in chapter 3 and I forget what's written in chapters 1 and 2, particularly in chapter 1, I will find myself exhausted, 
spent, worn out, trying to do these things as I'd been called to put them to death. I remember when I first heard this mystery. Well, let me rephrase that. I remember when I first remember hearing this mystery. I was in college. I was in chapel. I think very highly of chapels. Um, I've, I believe I've attended close to 1,500 chapel services. That's a lot of chapel services. I gave oversight to chapel at three different schools for about 17 years, and um, it was a privilege and a joy to be part of that. You may be familiar with some chapels. I think we have a picture of one of the more famous ones that's the Air Force Academy, uh, the Air Force Cadets. This is their chapel. The inside is gorgeous. Um, but I have to confess, only seen via pictures, but I've talked to a number of people who have been there. You may be um, far more familiar with the chapel that's right across the street, the Prescott Prayer Chapel, that is a beautiful piece of artwork. And if you've never gone in, I can see it right through those doors. You ought to avail yourself. This actually here is the chapel for the students who come. What a privilege to be part of a church that in moving out here chose to do something that maybe didn't make a whole lot of sense for us as a church, given that our size has never filled this auditorium, but to build a sanctuary that was large enough for the school to hold chapel in. What a privilege to participate in that and to know that through the course of the school year, a few thousand students will find their way into this place week in, week out. What a privilege to be part of that storyline and some wonderful chaplains that have been part of this place. Some of you who have attended this school will remember who your chaplain was, and I feel incredibly blessed to have as part of our congregation the current chaplain, Esteban Trujillo, and that regularly he is on this platform loving God and loving the students and faculty and staff. One of the beautiful chapels that I got to see during the sabbatical, the second week of sabbatical, we went to Sedona and got to see the Chapel of the Holy Cross and uh, just set in the beautiful rock formations of Sedona. And it is something when you walk in, and I won't ruin it for anybody who hasn't been there because someday you ought to go. A beautiful, wonderful experience. My experience in school chapel at a sister university to this one. It was a chapel that didn't look anything like this. It looked much like a big metal warehouse. Um, it had metal walls, metal ceiling, big metal beams that went from one side to the other, no pillars that interrupted your view, but it was long. I think that uh, my seat often was, because we were in assigned seats, about as far back as the bathrooms would be. I don't even think it would be in this auditorium. I don't know why the K's got seated so far back, but that was typically where I was. For years, I sat next to Deborah Kelly. And we had our assigned seats, and on the second song, the chapel checkers would walk to the front or their designated stations. They had a clipboard with where everybody was supposed to be on the seating chart, and they took attendance. So none of us were there voluntarily. I mean, there were some who liked to go, but there wasn't much of a voluntary nature to it, but some good and amazing things happened. Some wonderful speakers. I don't remember much of it. 
But I do remember one speaker that came back to my mind when I was studying and reading this passage and probably every time I read Colossians. Again, I was seated far to the back and they introduced this gentleman. His name was Bob Benson. I don't know if any of you know him, but he had taken over from his father, Benson Publishing, a book publishing company. Gentleman of profound faith. He was invited to speak. I wasn't paying much attention, but I did notice after they introduced him, he stood up and there was this really large pulpit. And he was not a large man at all. He got behind the pulpit and he kind of disappeared. I don't know if they had a step or not. I think he might have stepped onto the step they provided for him and he still was kind of just hardly visible, particularly from where I was seated. They should have just given a microphone and let him stand out from behind the pulpit. What made matters worse was when he started speaking, it was just so quiet. You couldn't hardly hear him at all. It wasn't a whisper, just this was like the volume of his voice. And I remember thinking, nobody's going to hear this guy. I went quiet. A whole bunch of other people went quiet and started listening to this very soft-spoken businessman speak of his journey of faith. I don't remember much about his journey of faith, but his text for that morning was Colossians 1.27. And he talked about something that was very popular at the time. Speed reading had just taken hold of the nation. Evelyn Wood was providing workshops across the country to learn how to speed read. And I never took an Evelyn Wood speed reading course, but I learned some of the techniques and I tried them, and I was terrible at them. One of the techniques is to take your finger and put it at the top in the center of the column and just move it at a regular, steady pace down and keep your eyes centered right above the finger and allow your eyes to pick up the totality of the line, but just keep moving and turn the page and do the same thing. And I tried that and I just, there were paragraphs that I couldn't just read past because I wasn't getting them. And it was hard for me, but I remember trying and trying. And here's a guy that's part of a publishing company that sells books. I'm having the notion that he is just going to say how great Evelyn Wood is, speed reading, buy more books. Instead, he says, I'm not a big fan of speed reading. I listen more closely. He said, sometimes you just need to drink in a phrase. And sometimes you'll miss a small word that's the most important word of the whole page. Kind of like Colossians 1.27, where it says the mystery is this, Christ in you. Three words. And maybe the important, most important is that two-letter word, in. Is some of this journey sometimes a struggle? Sometimes trying to figure out how it works? And how much time we spend doing it on our own? Thinking that by sheer discipline, we can please God. When how we please God is by surrender and allowing Christ in us. Putting to death these things doesn't come by gritting my teeth. 
I mean, there are things that help. I can have an accountability partner. I can talk about things in community, which does make a difference. But I need to surrender to Christ in me. That when I wake up, I say, oh, Lord, I haven't even gotten out of bed yet, and I'm a little concerned about the day. So help it to be you. Help me not only to invite you in, but to see you all around. To see you in the other person. To see you in their spirit, in their needs, in their hopes, in their dreams. Help me to see you. The admonition here is to put to death these things, but there is a second half to that, and it's to put on the new self that's renewed daily in the knowledge of God and Christ. This renewal takes place because I've surrendered to the renewal that happens from the inside out. And it concludes with this very powerful consequence of being renewed and putting the new self on. Here then there is no Jew, nor Greek, nor circumcised, nor uncircumcised, nor no Scythian, barbarian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and is in all. There is so much that makes us different, so much that makes us alike. I think it's good to acknowledge both. I have this game I do with groups. I've done it for years. I had them stand in a circle, and I call out common characteristics to summon the group and had them come to the center and meet one another. I typically do this with groups that have never known each other or don't know much about each other. We could form a big circle, and I'd say, okay, everybody who's the firstborn in your family, come to the center of the circle and introduce yourself to one another. If you feel like you're the only firstborn, it's great to meet some other firstborns because you have unique characteristics. Everybody who drives a car that's more than 15 years old, stand up, come to the middle, introduce yourself to everybody else who's got a car that they drive that's more than 15 years old and tell, tell each other what kind of car it is. I have to break that group up because they get going talking about cars and uh, gas mileage and all of those other things. It is an attempt to say when you feel alone, you're really not alone. I mean, I could go into questions, how many are stressed about and name a thing, go to the middle and introduce everybody else who's stressed about this one thing. You heard some bad news in your family of origin. Anybody who's willing to do that, come to the middle and meet everybody else. And you find how you're not alone. But in so doing, it doesn't take away how unique you are. The number of times that in this last month, I don't know why, this is a new game of mine that I have been playing, and it's, I may be the only person in the world who, and then you fill in the blank. I'm the only person in the world who's ever been married to Kay. It's a unique experience. And I, I don't know that anybody has had anything quite like that wonderful, amazing experience in the journey we've been on. Um, I am the only person in the world who's, only male in the world who's been raised by my parents. Unique experience. I may be the only person in the world who is hiking Angel's Landing and the lady beside me tripped and broke her arm. Snapped it. I heard it. I thought it was a twig. Yeah, it was terrible. 
What are the things that make you unique? Your sequence of experiences, your combination of experiences. You may share an experience with many other people, but your unique timing and how it occurred and when it occurred. So when we talk about a list of what we put to death and, and what we put on later on in this chapter, we don't all look alike. But there is one commonality, Christ in us. And Jesus tells us something that is so important. It's in the context of false prophets. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. But this is an amazing interjectory here in the midst of it. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. We don't gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. And a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every bad tree gets cut down because it bears bad fruit. So you'll know them by their fruit. So when we talk about what unites us, it's Christ in us. And how do we know? Does our life produce love and peace and grace and mercy and compassion and service and help? Does it look at the other as one that we want to enfold and embrace? Does it stop looking at the things that divide us that are often in the categories of Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Scythian, barbarian, slave or free? Is that how we see the world or have all of those things faded and we see what unites us and we'll know that it unites us by the fruit that we bear. What a powerful passage to lead us to a place where we stand for the kingdom of God and the one who sits on that throne with great respect for those who are in leadership, those who govern, but recognizing that I know who my Redeemer is. It makes false empires crumble because I don't live subject to all the ways in which the manipulations of my tendency toward greed can be captured and then I'm captured. But when I live with Christ as king, the false empires that are built on that fear and greed and selfishness begins to crumble. Because we live by a creed of love. May God help us to put off the old and put on the new. Father, thank you for your grace to us this morning that proclaims something that is new. It's a mystery that's been known through the ages, but yet every time we put it in place, it becomes new over and over and over again. Thank you, Lord, for how fresh it is as this morning and to meet the newest circumstances of this afternoon. 
to give us hope for tomorrow. Because we set our hearts and our minds on you. So Lord, transform us from the inside out. Will you put to death the old self so that we might live free and help us put on the new self? As Lisa sings, may you allow God's spirit to speak to your heart as we pray together that God might help us. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight Rose a melody sweeter than song In celestial-like strings it unceasingly falls O'er my soul like an infinite calm Peace, peace, wonderful peace Coming down from the Father above Sweep over my spirit forever I pray I really hope this 
week, you might take a moment at the start of each day to remind yourself of how unique you are, and yet not alone, not ever alone. And that each day might begin with this prayer, O Christ, live in me. With Christ in you, may your days be blessed with grace and opportunity and peace. May you find hope in what Christ brings your way. And may love be the image and character that all who come into contact with you see. And in doing so, may they see Christ in you. God bless you. Have a blessed week.